Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. Today I'd like to cover the book of Esther. The book of Esther covers a period of time probably from around somewhere between 486 or 473 B.C., somewhere in that time period. Uh, the book is called Esther because Esther is its main character. Now the Jews call the book Megaloth Esther, which means the Esther roll, because it's one of uh, five roles assigned for reading during uh, various uh, uh, celebrations. Esther is read during something they call the Feast of, uh, of Purim, which is actually pronounced uh, Purim. And we'll mention that term later uh, when we go in the book. No one's sure who actually wrote it. Uh, it probably a Jew that was living in Persia uh, during the uh, latter half of the uh, fifth century. Uh, when things happened in the book. It's also possible that either Ezra or Nehemiah uh, were, the, uh, were the original author, but we, we really don't know. So if you got your Bibles, you might want to follow along. I'm going to be reading this from the uh, uh, New King James Version of the Bible. And I'll try to throw in some other facts and information about it to hopefully make this more pertinent for you or help with your understanding. So Esther 1, starting in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. So that's a pretty widespread of area. Um, it won't show up very well, but the, my Bible here has a picture of the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire here. And so going from Ethiopia, which is in Africa, all the way over to, uh, to India, so this was a substantial empire, and we'll get to a little more about that uh, later. In those days, when uh, King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for his officials. So since he began around 486 uh, B.C., uh, we believe this therefore started, this particular proclamation would have been 483. Made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the province being before him. To this day we think that uh, the Medes are probably in part of Russia and uh, Ukraine area when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom. So one of the things that some of these uh, rulers would do when they had a uh, big celebration was show their treasury or their military or their clothes or whatever things they had to, to show around. Riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. That's a long party. It's a six month long party. When the days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan and the citadel, from great to small. So, first it was only a limited party, now he's got everybody in it. In the court of the garden, the king's palace. And there were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple, and silver rods and marble pillars. Now, we don't think too much about this these days, but 
dyes were very expensive to make, you know, purple particularly. Uh, blue was also pretty expensive to make. Anyway, marble pillars and the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, white, and black marble. So the turquoise was fairly expensive as well, as well as the alabaster, even the marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels. Well, gold was always expensive, particularly rare back then. Each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance. According to the generosity of the king, in accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory. compulsory. So in other words, the king had all this alcohol, but you didn't have to drink it. Okay? It made your stomach upset, you didn't like it, you didn't want it to get drunk, or you didn't want to drink much of it, you didn't have to. For so the king ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. So it was not, it didn't sound like a totalitarian party where you've got to do everything a certain way from this, uh, this, this ruler. Now at the same time, verse 9, the queen, Queen Vashti, she also made a feast for the women in the royal palace which belonged to King uh, Zurus. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, so he was, I would say, loaded, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abgatha, Zethar, and Carcass. And yes, I have troubles with some of these words, including the king's name, if you probably noticed. Seven eunuchs who serve in the presence of King Ahasuerus. Now, they were eunuchs serving the king. That way he didn't have to worry about his hives and his harem. To bring King Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was very beautiful to behold. Now the next verse. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore the king was furious and his anger burned within him. Now, there were a couple of reasons, things I've read as to why she, was, she didn't come. One was, according to something called a targum, which was written hundreds of years later, this is Arabic, said the king expected her to come wearing nothing except the crown. The other, which I've got, had more support on, because that other one is fairly questionable, is that the custom of the people at the time were that in these types of celebrations, the males and the females were to be separate. Queen Vashti didn't feel it was appropriate to violate this particular custom. Felt her husband was drunk. Don't really have to listen to a drunk husband. But the husband didn't have that same opinion, as we see. He was just furious. Verse 13. Then the king... He said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner toward all who knew law and justice, those closest to him being Karshina, Sethar, Admetha, Tarshish, Meriz, Marcina, and Mimukin, the seven princes of Persia and Media who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. So these are his top advisors or leaders 
So he says, what should we do to Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the command of King uh, Azuras brought to her by the eunuchs. So what are we supposed to do? And Mamukin answered uh, before the king and the princes. says, listen, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. So, so this is a big, big thing. This is a bad thing. This is a really bad thing. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Asuhurus commanded King Queen Vashti be brought before him, but she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persian media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Then there will be excessive contempt and wrath. So they're worried about some type of a, I'll call it a feminist movement rising up. So they were very concerned about this. It wasn't just the king that was insulted. said, look, you can't let this go, king, because this is going to cause problems everywhere. So it says, verse 19, If it pleases the king, we'd like a royal decree to go out from you, from him, from you. Let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so it will not be altered. So you're going to put out something. You can't change your mind about this. All right? If you're going to do this, that's what you should do, because you should make sure everybody knows what you're going to do is permanent. Okay, This is not an acceptable behavior from the queen. So it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So they felt by her, the queen refusing, she, she's not qualified, she can't be queen, that's it, it's done, she's over. Verse 20. When the king's decree, which he will make, is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great, I'll talk about that in just a moment, all wives will honor their husbands, both small and great, or great and small. So it says, look, it isn't just a problem for the king and the nobles and the princes. This is going to be all the way down to the poor people. Poor wives are going to say, why should I listen to you? You're not the king. Vashti didn't listen to the king. And you're just a, oh, I don't know, some type of day laborer or whatever you may be. But you're not the king. The king is important and you're not like him. So, the king said, oh, no, I, I, it wasn't that serious. No, that's not what the king thought. Verse 21. And reply, please the king. And the princes, and the king did all according to the word of Mamukin. Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces. Okay, remember, this has happened in one spot, but he sent letters everywhere. He had a lot of provinces, if you recall. There are actually 127 of them. So he let 127 letters. Remember, they didn't have copiers then. They didn't have email. It wasn't like you could just stick something on there, okay, let's copy all this. They had to manually go down and put all this stuff down there to each province in its own script. So not only <laughs> did they have to uh, make copies of this stuff, but they had to translate it into, we don't know how many languages, but uh, probably uh, dozens, and to every people in their own language. 
that each man should be master of his own house and speak in the language of his own people. So they wanted this clear. They were worried that everybody from Ethiopia over to India was going to hear that Queen Vashti turned the king down and that everybody's going to cause problems everywhere. And it's like, okay, yes, this happened. But because it happened, Vashti, who, went for, who was the queen, no more. She lost her job. That's it. She's out of it. They wanted to make sure people realized that uh, that was not going to be tolerated. And they were worried about uh, women objecting. Now there's their husbands all over. They thought, oh, this is going to cause a massive problem. We just can't deal with it. Now, before we go to chapter 2, we're going to start to talk about Esther. I want to give a little more background on this. I'm going to read something actually from uh, the uh, old youth lessons in the old uh, Worldwide Church of God. This is from Level 7, Lesson 7, I think. It says, When the nation of Judah was conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire was the greatest, most powerful kingdom on the earth. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, God revealed the Babylonian Empire was the first of a series of empires that would rule over many nations and peoples. This world empire... These, they were pictured by a great image that appeared to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, uh, which you can read about in uh, uh, Daniel uh, uh, 2. Yeah, let's just go there for just a moment, Daniel chapter 2. And so... Uh, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, talks about he had this dream. He was very troubled. Uh, he didn't know what the dream meant. He wanted to know what it meant. He didn't trust people. He wanted people to tell him what did it really mean. So uh, God basically had uh, Daniel uh, give the dream. And he does. And if go down to verse 31 of Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to go back to uh, Esther eventually. You, O king, were watching, behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its fart, its, its uh, feet partly of uh, iron and partly of clay. And you watch the stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image of its feet on the iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, clay, and the bronze, and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summit threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so there was no trace of them to be found. The stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. Okay, so that's what he saw. And, and while we get to the relevance of it, here is kind of his background, verse 36. This is a dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it for the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Whenever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he's given them to your hand, make you a rule over them. You are the head of gold. But after you, so this is a, that was a Babylonian kingdom, then after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another, and a third, etc. And eventually, uh, says King of God will rule, destroy uh, the world ruling systems, and God will reign. 
Well, the Medo-Persian Empire was the second one. It was inferior, and that's the one we're talking about here. Now, the old uh, Worldwide Church God wrote, the Persian Empire, pictured by the images breast and arms of silver, succeeded the Babylonian Empire, which is the head of gold. It was during the reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, that a royal decree was issued that permitted the Jews, many of whom were living in Babylon, to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. The decree was issued 70 years after the Jews had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Some families, however, chose to remain in Babylon and other parts of the uh, uh, empire. Now, the medial Persian Empire was inferior in excellence to Nebuchadnezzar, Chaldean or Babylonian Empire, the head of gold, just as silver is inferior to gold. However, it was stronger militarily, and silver is stronger than gold. In 549, Cyrus, a Persian by the name of Cyrus the Great became uh, king of the Persian Empire. And he conquered the area known as Babylonia in 539, which was prophesied by Isaiah over 100 years, 150 years before. And I could go into it, but it's in Isaiah 44, uh, verses 28 and 45.1. Until the reign of Cyrus, the people of Judah, the Jews which would include uh, those of Judah and Benjamin and some Levites, who had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar were still in Babylonian slavery. To reduce the chances of Jewish rebellion in Judah, Nebuchadnezzar had ordered three deportations of the Jews that began around 604 B.C. People from the other tribes were deported by the Assyrians back in the 700s B.C. Anyway, yeah, around 538 B.C., Cyrus issued a decree that allowed the Jews to come to come back. Now, following the death of Cyrus the Great, his son Cambyses ruled the empire, and he died around 522 B.C. Then Darius I, who was a Mede, began to rule after the death of uh, Cambyses. When Darius died, his son Ahasuerus, who's also known as Xerxes, and he's also mentioned, by the way, in Ezra 4.6, he began. He became king of the Persian Empire, and his uh, reign began, as I said before, around 486, uh, and probably went to around 464 BC. Now, the story of Esther takes place at the time of uh, Ahasuerus, who's the king of Persia, and whose empire, as we read, extended from Ethiopia to India. And during his uh, reign, many of the Jews who didn't return to Palestine lived within the 127 of the provinces of the, uh, of the Persian Empire. Okay, so now we're going to go uh, into uh, chapter, chapter 2. Uh, and go with uh, uh, verse 1. After these things, so this is after the king issued his letters against Vashti. The wrath of the king Ahasuerus subsided, and he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. So he's starting to have second thoughts, but he's not allowed to change things. Then the king's servants who attended him said, we got an idea. Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of the kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful virgins to Shushan the citadel. Well, that's going to be a lot of gals. 
had 127 provinces, and you're supposed to bring the beautiful young gals from them. That's quite a few. Bring them to the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women. Let beauty preparations be given them. Let the young women, the young woman who pleases the king, be queen instead of Vashti. This thing pleased the king, so he did so. So he thought, ah, this is a good idea. I'm going to get a whole bunch of wives. In Susha, in the citadel, there was a certain uh, Jew. His name was Mordecai. He was the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Now verse 7. And Mordecai had, been, had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther. That's another name for her. His uncle's daughter. For he, she had neither father nor mother. Now let me say, some translations have Mordecai as her uncle. More modern translations that looked at this suggest that uh, uh, Esther was Mordecai's cousin. Not that Mordecai was Esther's uncle. Anyway, talking about Esther, the young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So, he was probably older than her. So it was, when the king's command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Sushan, the citadel, under the custody of uh, Haggai, that Esther was also taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. Probably because how she lived. Uh, probably not how she looked, because all, all the gals are supposed to be beautiful or whatever they brought there. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her, uh, besides allowance. Seven, uh, then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace and moved her from the... Uh, Move her and her maidservants uh, to the best place in the house of the women. Now Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. So nobody knew that she was a, a Jewish Benjamite. Every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn about Esther's welfare. And according to various commentators who've looked into this, I believe Mordecai had some kind of a job uh, in the king's uh, courtyard. He was either just like a, a lowly porter who just moved things back and forth. Some say, no, he had some higher role, but it's, it's not specified in Scripture. Anyway, he paced front, uh, in front of the court of women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Now, each young woman turn came to go to the king after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations of the women for thus were the days of their preparation apportioned six months with oil and myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women now that's a long time you think that they you know they need a bath or something <laughs> maybe a day or two uh, try to figure out why this would have lasted a whole year this is a long time uh, a couple of ideas. One that some commentators have suggested is that these uh, young gals were probably uh, not necessarily very sophisticated. 
and they needed to learn how to act in a king's court. They probably needed to learn some words of the king's language. Uh, it also gives a chance to find out after several months they developed any weird diseases or whatever. So, but again, to me it seems like it was a really long period of time, but that's what they did. Verse 13. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. So basically, the king ended up with lots and lots and lots of wives. In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Shah the king's unit, who kept the concubines. So there was one eunuch who had the virgins, and then the other one had the concubines. This is the secondary wives. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. Verse 15. Now when the turn came for Esther, so Esther uh, had to marry him, the daughter of uh, Abihail, the, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, to go to the king, she requested nothing, but with Hegai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. So, uh, the king, uh, after becoming intimate, apparently offered them whatever they wanted, uh, within his version of reason. My suspicion is that the Gentile women asked for a lot of stuff, and Hegai had told Esther, the best way to have the king happy with you is you just ask for this, for this, and don't be greedy. Because I, I conclude that because of the next statement. It says, And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. And that would include the king. Verse 16, So Esther was taken to, the, to King Osiris into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. So that's going to be from 46, that would be 479 then. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and he obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so he set the royal crown upon her head. Now remember, she was just some poor Jew, kind of a, a Migrant, basically, uh, sort of a forced migrant, uh, wasn't considered anybody special, just a young gal. We don't know how young, um, could have been as young as uh, 15. I doubt it's any older than 20. She was not very old. Anyway, put the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. Now, she probably never thought she could be a queen. If you're watching this, you probably don't think you probably didn't think when you're growing up you could be a king or a priest. But the New Testament says that God will make His people kings and priests and reign with Him. Okay, you may not have thought you were born to be royalty, but if God's calling you now, you are. And we see this happen to uh, Esther. Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther. Maybe they'll make a feast for you someday. For all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. And this king 
it was generous at time to time to time. Uh, verse 19. When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now I tried to figure out what, why a second time, and all I could, by looking at historical records, all I can figure is that probably what happened is there was the first batch of gals that came from the closer provinces, and perhaps other ones came from other ones. Apparently the king liked having lots and lots of wives. It's something that the uh, book of Deuteronomy specifically warns against kings of Israel doing, uh, because the kings of the world were doing that. And that's not to be done, of course, but that's what was done then. Verse 20. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. He sat within the king's gate. He had given her instructions, and she listened. She didn't say, look, I'm now queen. I don't care about this cousin of mine who raised me. He's not important, and now I'm the most important thing. And, okay. We're supposed to honor our mother and father. He wasn't Esther's mother or father, yes, but he took her in and he raised her. And so she realized she should uh, give him respect. And he'd given a specific command. He, she may not have understood why, but she obeyed. And the command was not against God's law, so it was appropriate to obey. Verse 21. In those days, when Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told King es Queen Esther. And Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on the gallows, and it was, as it was written in the book of Chronicles, in the presence of the king. Now the old uh, youth lesson asked, from old worldwide church of gods asked, what would you have done if you'd heard of the plot? Would you have been afraid and been silent? After all, suppose you reported information and no one believed you. You could lose your job, or someone might try to assassinate you and hurt you for doing this. And nothing good, by the way, happened to Mordecai for a long time after he did this. And sometimes we won't see things good, good things happening to us in, uh, in this age if we do the right thing. But I want to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to back to Esther, but I want to go to Hebrews 6. Sorry for the delay on my notes. Scribble some stuff down. I want to go over here. Hebrews 6. I keep missing it. There we go. <laughs> Hebrews 6, and I'm going to go down to verse uh, 10. Or verse 9. Let's start in verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of, a, of better things concerning you. Yes, better things are going to happen to you, whether this age, could be in this age, but if not, the age to come. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, 
that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And in our case of the continuing Church of God, one of the ways we do such ministering is to help support the poor, particularly in places like Africa. Verse 11, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then it goes through more promises over there. We'll find out some stuff regarding Mordecai later. But just because you're not getting rewarded for doing the right thing doesn't mean you shouldn't do the right thing. Now this doesn't mean, by the way, that you should be a tattletale on every little dinky thing, but this is an important matter where someone wanted to assassinate the king. Okay, now, let's see, I wanted to go to chapter 3. So why don't I just... Uh, Uh, say uh, this after these things King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the son of Hamedtha the Agagite and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him and all the king's servants who were with the king's gate within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. And this is one of the reasons why they felt feel that uh, Mordecai worked for the king because he was within the king's gate. And we can see that the king's servants are within the gate. For so the king commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? So obviously they're saying, This applies to you too. You work for the king. You're in the king's court. You've got to do this. That happened when they spoke to him daily, he would not listen to them. When they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai said he was a Jew. So I don't have to do this because I'm a Jew. We've got a situation in the place like the United States now that people are saying uh, you have to uh, perform abortions or uh, do transgender mutilation or surgeries and stuff. And people say, but I'm a Christian or I believe the Bible or whatever. And uh, in various governments, including the United States, are trying to say, so what? But Mordecai said, basically, I'm not doing it because I'm a Jew. There are certain things we don't do because we're Christians. Verse 5, When Haman saw Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to, hold, to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they told him of the people of Mordecai. He's a Jew. There's other Jews, aren't there? Yes. Hmm. If we just get rid of Mordecai, then we got all the other Jews. And maybe they won't bow down to me and worship me because I'm the great Haman. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. He wanted to destroy the people of Mordecai. Now, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, otherwise known as Abib, the month, for example, we keep Passover. In the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast poor, that is, the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. So, they cast lots. The old uh, uh, 
Worldwide Church of God said that they will, you know, God made this happen to the lot to be much long, way down the line. It doesn't fall until the, the 12th month. Now verse 8. Then King Haman said to, to uh, excuse me, then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, now there's a certain people. They're scattered and they're dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. So there's 127 provinces, you've got these people. And their laws are different from all other peoples. And they don't keep the king's laws. Okay? So instead of saying, look, I'm offended because Mordecai won't bow down to me because I am the great one. Uh, these are troublemakers. These are people who aren't good. Time will come in places like the United States where they want us gone. Those of us who are true Christian. Since so we don't go along with various aspects of their immorality and other views that they have. Okay. Anyway, continuing, Haman says, Therefore it's not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. Now, 10,000 talents of silver. Um, I tried to price that uh, yesterday. And it's something like Haman was given like $24 million. So he was a rich dude. $24 million, okay? Don't know how he got, the, got it. Probably military conquest or whatever. Or whatever. But he, he has that much extra. He hated the, the Jews so much because of Mordecai. Look, he's going to give all this money to get rid of them. So what happened? Verse 10. Well, the king took his signet ring from his hand <clears throat> and he gave it to Haman and said, Haman, the son of Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Now, before going further, uh, I want to uh, mention something else. And that is that God had wanted the children of Israel to destroy uh, the, these type of people, the people that uh, Haman uh, descended from. I'm trying to look for something in my, my notes. Uh, I'm not finding it. So I'm going to go to 1 Kings, I think chapter 15 is what I want. And uh, I'll read something from there. 1 Kings. Ah, I said 1 Kings, but I meant 1 Samuel. I'm sorry. Now that I go to 1 Kings, I see it's 1 Samuel. I, have, I, say, I apologize. I don't see where I put a note on here, but I did have a note. I had it in my notes for this. If you go to uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the eternal, of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he saw and ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go attack Amalek. Now to destroy all they have, don't spare them. Kill both man and 
woman, infant, nursing child, sheep, camel, and donkey. So they got together to fight. And Saul told the Canaanites to leave. Verse 7, he attacked the Malachites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Malachites. And this is where we think this is probably related to Haman. And he uh, uh, destroyed the people with the edge of the sword. But, but the people spared Agag and the rest of the sheep and all this kind of stuff. And because of this, God rejected Saul as king. And you can read that if you continue on in First uh, Samuel uh, 15. But because they weren't utterly destroyed, we now have a situation where one of their descendants wants to utterly destroy the Jews. Anyway, in verse 11, the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you, do with them as it seems good to you. So whether it was all necessarily all of Haman's money or just all from the kingdom, either way, they've agreed to pay to get rid of the Jews. Verse 12, Then the king's scribes were called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and the decree was written according to all that Haman had commanded. To the king's satraps, to the governors who over each of the provinces, the officials of all the people, of every province according to script, and every people according to their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. The letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and uh, to plunder uh, their possessions. The copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all the people that they should be ready for that day. Remember, they're not supposed to be changing their laws or rescinding them. King, the couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. Okay, so the city of Shushan was like, we got all these Jews here. We're supposed to kill them all? Verse 4. When Mordecai learned all that happened, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out in the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud voice, and a bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one can enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And later you'll find that God heard their, prayer, their cries and fastings. Verse 4, So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai to take his sackcloth away from him, but he wouldn't accept them. Then Esther called Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs whom he had appointed to attend her, and he gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So she only knew at this stage that Mordecai was in sackcloth and ashes, didn't know why. So Hathach went out to Mordecai to in the city square, who was in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasury to destroy the Jews. So Haman promised to pay this much, and the king probably threw some in. It's hard to say how much money was from which one, but we know what he said he was going to do. 
He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given in Sushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, that he might command her to go to the king and make supplication to him and plead before him for his people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Now, remember, Mordecai this time, he was uh, one aspect of the king's area, so he knew some about the kingdom. But now you've got Esther, who's been queen for some period of time, who's got a better idea of what it's like in the inner palace. Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called, he has but one lyle to put to death, except the one whom the king holds out a golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. Esther says, look, I can't go in there unless the king calls me, because if I go in there otherwise, I be dead. Verse 13, Mordecai told them to answer Esther as follows. Do not think in your heart that you'll escape the king's palace more than any other Jews. Now, we don't know if Esther thought that, but I'm sure thought it's just likely that, that at least momentarily flashed through her mind. Verse 14, for if you remain completely silent this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from some other place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to a kingdom for such a time as this. All right, so Esther gets a response, and she says, now we've got on verse 15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days or three nights, and my maids and I will fast likewise. And I'll go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You say, but she was king. But remember I said the king had lots and lots of concubines, wives. Didn't feel, hadn't called Esther for a long time. Didn't seem to need her. Remember when Vashti broke a command of the king, or an order, she was put out. And Esther would have known that. That's how, partially, you know, how she ended up getting a job as queen. And so Esther's like, King, he's got all these wives, he doesn't seem to want me around, and if I walk in here, and I wasn't summoned, then it could be the end of me. So she said, pray and fast for me. Verse 17, so Mordecai went his way and did according to all Esther had commanded him. Okay, so yes, she gave a command and he listened. Um... One comment from the old world I church got about this was that uh, Esther must have greatly loved Mordecai and her people to be willing to risk her life for, to save them. Let's go to uh, John uh, uh, 15, verses 13, verse 13. See some of Jesus' words regarding love. This Pick this up in verse 12. Jesus' words, John 15, verse 12. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lie, lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, you do whatever I command you. 
So Esther was willing to lay down her life uh, because as queen, she would have been exempt from this. Anyway, verse 1 of chapter 5. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. So she'd been fasting for about three days at this stage. Across the king's house, while the king sat in his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. The king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of his scepter. Okay, so the king decided that she was going to live. Verse 3. So the king knew this was kind of an odd thing for her to do this. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Esther? What's your request? It will be given to you even up to half of the kingdom. So, even though he hadn't called Esther for a while, he apparently really cared for her. Verse 4. Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I've prepared for him. The king said, Bring Haman quickly, that he may do as Esther said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Verse 6. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What's your petition? It'll be given to you. What's your request? Up to half of the kingdom. It shall be done. Esther answered and said, My petition request is this. If I found favor in the sight of the king, and it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I'll do as the king said. So this I thought always sounds a little unusual about this story. I've always enjoyed reading the book of Esther. Um, I've read through the Bible, I don't want to brag, so I won't say many times, but many, many, many times, and I always uh, kind of get a smile when I get to Esther because I know the basic parts of the story. But this has always been a little bit puzzling to me. I still don't know why. I have a guess that why I had one banquet and then she's going to have another one. But now go to verse 9. So Haman went out that day joyful with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and he didn't stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. I mean, this is the uh, reason why God would have allowed it to happen this way, but I still don't know why Esther was moved that way, but apparently somehow God moved Esther to have a kind of a delay. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. He went home and he sent, he called for his friends, and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman told them of his great riches. I told him he was really rich to be able to give that kind of money. The multitude of his children. So he probably had multiple wives. And everything to which the king had promoted him. And how he advanced above him, above all the officials in service of the king. He was now number two guy, top dog, other than the king. Moreover, Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I'm again invited by her, along with the king. So he should be happy. But yet, all of this avails me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gate. Uh, you know, I can't be happy because of this. He could be, but his pride was getting in, his, in the way. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said, hey, Let a gallows be made, 50 cubits high. That's about 75 feet. In the morning, it suggests the king that Mordecai be hanged on it, then go merrily to the king, with the king to the banquet. And this thing pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So there was enough time between having dinner one night and dinner the next night to go and do this. 
However, something happened. Chapter 6, verse 1. The king could not sleep. God didn't allow the king to sleep. So no one so so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So this is the chronicles of the records of his things happened during his kingdom. Verse 2. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Asuras. And the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for doing this? Okay? King forgot all about it. Nobody knew about it. Nobody cared. Mordecai thinking, you know, I've saved the king's life and that never happened, but whatever. And the king's servants who attended him said, Well, nothing's been done for Mordecai. Nothing's been done for him. Verse 4. So the king said, Who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the court of the king's palace to suggest to the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he prepared for him. Remember, he was going to go by in the morning to get this guy dealt with. The king's servants said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman didn't just walk in because wait for the golden scepter. He was in court and the the king's courtiers said, hey, Haman's here. He said, let him come on in. So Haman came in. The king asked him, what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? <laughs> Haman thought in his heart, whom the king delight in to honor more than me. And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights. That's probably why the king asked Haman for this. He figured Haman would know what he'd want. Let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse upon which the king has ridden, and a royal crest placed on its head. Let this robe and the horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may be he array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade himself, parade him on horseback throughout the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. You know, the Bible warns about pride. Uh, Haman had it. Let's go to Proverbs 11, starting verse 2. Maybe a couple of things about pride. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Now let's go to uh, Proverbs 16. We'll read verse uh, 5 and 18. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Though they join forces. Well, we'll read, you know, see some of that in, uh, in the book of Esther. Now down to verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So you've got Haman who is prideful and think, ah, I want to be exalted so much. This is great. Yeah, this is just fantastic. But this fall is about to happen. Verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested. Haman's probably thinking, oh great, finally, I get it all. Wow, this is really going to be, my, wow, what a fantastic day for me now. 
and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone all you've spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback throughout the square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So instead of being honored, Haman being honored, Haman has to be the secondary guy to tell people to honor Mordecai. Then, verse 12, and afterwards Mordecai went back to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. When Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends, everything that happened to them, his wise men, his wife, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you began to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but you will surely fall before him. Remember, pride comes before the fall. And when they were still talking to him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Verse 7. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of the wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It will be granted to you. What's your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people, and I to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we only been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So king's not sure what's going on, verse 5. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he, where is he, who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Well, the prideful one. And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went to his palace garden. King was, Haman wanted to kill you. Ah, he's all upset about this. Haman stood before the before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw evil was determined to him by the king. He could tell the king was not happy. When the king returned to the palace garden, the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch. across where Esther was. And the king said, Will he also assault the queen when I'm in the house? And as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now, Harbinah, one of the eunuchs, probably didn't like Haman. Never said anything. Was smart enough to keep his mouth shut until it was time. He said to the king, Look, here's a gallows which is 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai. The one who spoke good on the king's behalf is standing at the house of Haman. So, you never know who might come to your aid or might be the one to do you in. So be careful about your words. Then the king said, Hang him on it! Which is probably what uh, Harbinah wanted. Verse 10. So they hang Haman on the gallows that they, he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman. 
the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. So it puts him, basically makes Mordecai, instead of getting hung that day, looks like it makes him number two in the kingdom. And uh, Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. You know, we see this uh, in the Old Testament, where we've got uh, some one of God's people who ends up being number two person in one area or the other. You had uh, Daniel who was raised. Uh, we also had uh, Joseph, who was second only under, under Pharaoh. So God has done that from time to time. And I've also, when I was looking throughout some church history records, I've seen sometimes, particularly in the Sardis era, it looks like maybe uh, some of God's people uh, had some type of influence. Probably not this strong, but some kind. Anyway, so or Mordecai was raised up. Verse 3. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite, the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. The Gagites, remember King Agag, the one who was supposed to be just, uh, the Gagites were supposed to be destroyed, the Amalekites. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, so she took a chance again. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I'm pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I can endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Verse 7. Then King Ahasuerus said to King Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I've given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name. Seal it with the king's signet. For whatever is written in the king's name and seal the signet, no one can revoke. So he didn't revoke what he did before, but he says, why don't you write something else? So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, the 23rd day. It was written according to all that Mordecai commanded. So Mordecai now gets to figure out how do we deal with this since we can't undo the other one. To the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and all the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces at all, to every province in his own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. So they get it, the Jews get an extra part. Every one of these letters, if we're going to send, will also have something in, uh, this has been either Hebrew or Aramaic. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent it by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. By these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were at every city to gather together, protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. On one day, in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, so they are supposed to be killed. The king says, okay, well, you get to defend yourselves. Now, understand, by this time, the Jews had a pretty good idea who their enemies were because there was a long time from uh, when this decree was initially issued. And people probably said, yeah, you wait. You're going to get it, you Jew. We're going to get you people. 
So Jews had an idea some people really hated their guts. Verse 13, a copy of the document was issued and decree in every province to publish for all the people so the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed by the king's command. The decree was issued in uh, Sushan the citadel. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and had a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and of purple and of the city of Sushan rejoiced and was glad. So Mordecai, who was in sackcloth and ashes, has now been exalted. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. In every province and city where the Jews command, decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. So this is one of the reasons why you'll see people who go to the land of Israel who are various ethnic groups. This is one of the things that did happen. Now let's go to uh, chapter 9, go to verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred. So yes, we're supposed to, as Christians by the way, we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. And these people were convinced they were supposed to get killed. But God had a different plan. And the Jews themselves overpowered those that hated them. The Jews gathered together in the cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought them their harm. And no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all the people. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those who did the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. They say, wait a second, Mordecai just replaced Haman. Haman was the top dude. We knew about Haman. Haman's hung because of, uh, he wanted to kill Mordecai. We better listen to Mordecai, do what Mordecai says, or we might die too. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout the provinces. That means all the way from, uh, from Babylon went over to Ethiopia, over to India. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies. The stroke of the sword was the slaughter and destruction and did what they pleased with those that hated them. And in Sushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Also, Parshada, Dolphon, Aspatha, Paratha, Adaliah, Aradatha, Parmashta, Erisai, Aridai, and Jazatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of uh, Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. So they just wanted to hear their enemies. They weren't trying to get all their money. And on that day, a number of those who were killed in Sushan Citadel was brought to the king. The king said to King es Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Sushan, the citadel, and the ten sons of Haman. Uh, what have they done with the rest of the king's provinces? What's your petition? It'll be granted to you. What's your further request? It shall be done. So the king seemed to think this was fine. Verse 13. And Esther said, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Sushan to do again tomorrow according to today's decrees. And let uh, Haman's uh, ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Sushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. 
And the Jews from Sushan gathered together on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men of Sushan, but they didn't lay hand on the plunder. So apparently they found there were still others that they hadn't gotten rid of who were their uh, mortal enemies, and they got rid of them. Verse 16. The remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives uh, they had from the rest of their enemies. And as Christians, by the way, the end times, we read in Zephaniah 2, we're supposed to gather together so we can be protected before a decree will be issued. Anyway, and it says the Jews killed 75,000 of their enemies, but they didn't lay hand on their plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. On the 14th day of the month, they rested, made a day of feasting and gladness, except for again, some killed 300 over in Shushan. Verse 18. But the Jews who were in Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as on the 14th day. And on the 15th day of the month they rested. And they made a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled town celebrated the 14th day of the month at Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday, sending presents to one another. It's not a, it's not a holy day. It's not a day you, you can't do any work. It's a national holiday. Verse 20. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent the letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th day of Adar the days which the Jews had rest from their enemies as a month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from, or from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting of joy sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor so the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of Hamathada, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them. And they cast poor, that is a lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return to his own head and he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Verse 26. So they called these days Purim. And so you'll hear, hear it called uh, Purim. But as I say, when I looked at this, it's actually Purim. After the name Pur, or casting the lots. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, which they had said concerning the matter, what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants, and all who had joined with them without fail, that they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time that these days should be remembered by the, kept by the Jews throughout every generation every family and every province and every city that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants and in modern times we've heard things such as uh, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu worried that uh, Persian descendants which are people in Iran uh, may want to destroy the Jews with nuclear weapons or whatever, they don't want this to happen, that the Jews will turn against them before it can happen. And he has cited uh, the Feast of Purim and Esther related this uh, a time or two. Anyway, going back to uh, chapter 9, verse 29. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them. 
and they had this decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and was written in the book. Now the last chapter, which is very short, which is the 10th chapter here, and King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might in the account of his greatness in the account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of the Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus, and was great among the Jews, and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people, and seeking peace to all his countrymen. And that will be a difference between the kingdom of God with the political ruler, compared to political rulers today. They will seek the good of the people. Now, you think about Esther, you know, nobody would have expected this young woman, uh, the daughter of some kind of a captive, uh, would rise up, would become queen, or save the people. It didn't look possible when Haman's uh, decree went out that the Jews would survive. But instead they thrived, and their enemies were defeated. You don't have to go there, but in the last part of Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, Blessed are those who wait for him. The Jews faced an incredible, overwhelming situation. They fasted and they waited. And God came through. God will not give up on you. Even if he lets you perish in this life, God will not per, uh, give up on you. And, just like Esther, if you're called to, in this age, unlike Esther who was called in her age, being called in this age, if you respond to God, you can actually be a king and priest in the coming kingdom of God. Those are some of the lessons from the book of Esther. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.